Listen, if you dare, to the Lovecraft Tapes. Welcome to the Lovecraft Tapes. Or if you're watching this on our YouTube channel as we're broadcasting, welcome to the Livecraft Tapes. Thanks, Snow. I am Jeremy, your keeper of arcane lore, and we play Call of Cthulhu, a horror role-playing game based upon the fictional works of H.P. Lovecraft. Your investigators of the unknown are Brian as Special Agent Jack Whiteside, Gabe as Special Agent Roy Arroyo, and Matt as Detox. Welcome, players. Tonight we'll be answering listener-submitted questions regarding our recently completed scenario, Chapter 7, Bloodlines. Spoiler alert, we'll be discussing all the nitty-gritty details of this adventure, so if you haven't listened yet... I highly recommend you go back to episode 56 and start there. Now, before we begin, we do need to thank our generous patrons who have contributed to the podcast via Patreon.com. Their selfless monetary support has helped pay for hosting, editing software, music, sound effects, and other costs associated with production. Without them, we'd probably be talking into tin cans with string tied between them. All blood sacrifices are coordinated by the cultists of the Starry Wisdom, including our dynamic duo of the Demir Lobotmist and Ravens in the Attic. Blessings tenfold to our lone mystic of the occult, Jordy Rose. Our single investigator of the unknown, Wayne Stubblefield, desperately requires assistance and more flashlight batteries. Meanwhile, there is a gathering of professors at Miskatonic, including Mitch L., <laughs> Eric Miles, Brownie Davis, Anthony Imes, John M. Ray, Wouter Vermeyen, Eric Gordon, David Winterbin, Eric Zane, Frank Delventhal, Chris Parker, Olda Polkert, Lobster Johnson, and Brittany Davis. Coffee and cake will be served in the library. Lastly, our students at Miskatonic, Eric Setterberg, Eric Phillips, Snow, Malambra 57, Milkamix, and Rolling Boxcars should report to the gym for an assembly first thing tomorrow morning. Thank you one and all for making this podcast possible and for keeping Cthulhu at bay with your thoughts and prayers and chants and spells. Now, dear investigators, we recap Chapter 7, Bloodlines. Previously on the Lovecraft Tapes. After their misadventures in Louisiana... Dan, Jack, and Roy recuperate back home in Arkham for the next year. The pain and horror fade slightly as their tight-knit partnership drifts apart. Before they realize what's happened, Jack and Roy discover Dan has gone off the grid in search of a way to reach the dearly departed Samantha Blaine. A mysterious newcomer, known only as Detox, offers to help the two FBI agents in their search. Clues lead them to a decommissioned government research center on Bloodsworth Island in the Chesapeake Bay, wherein they discover the still-living remains of dangerous experiments. During an altercation, Detox is infected with a zombie-like virus and quickly turns against the other two. Sadly, Detox is brought low, after which Jack and Roy flee the haunted ruins straight into the arms of an unseen force awaiting them outside. We do thank everybody for uh, contributing questions on our Reddit page and Discord and all the social media channels where we pluck these. And uh, so we're going to get straight to it. Uh, This is uh, for our viewers and listeners. Did you like the change in episode release structure this season wherein we didn't uh, inject tales between each of the episodes? Um, Did you like the flow of the episodes um, just proceeding, even though there was a gap um, and delay between each of the uh, episodes being released, 
Or did you prefer the previous seasons where we interjected a little bit of fictional interludes between just to keep the schedule week to week to week to week? Did you enjoy the consistency of the weekly schedule? Or or would you rather just stick to the uh, main storyline? And uh, you guys can answer this as well. I actually do kind of miss it more than I thought. After playing Samantha for so long and then hearing that interlude of her doing the research and the tentacle and the officer coming in to assist, I thought that was freaking cool closure a little bit for me on my character because hmm. I kind of left her out there. It not only just fills in the gaps, but it also helps carry the story. You actually get to experience what happened while we were having our adventure. So we get to see what was happening behind the scenes as well. So as a player, I really did appreciate being able to hear those. I do love the pacing of being able to do episode to episode and keeping the story going. But yeah, I I honestly can say I I do miss them. I think they were really cool, a cool addition. I much prefer the pacing, but I like the the freedoms that the Lovecraft tales provide because I can do things that I wouldn't that I'm not allowed to in the main story <laughs> and I do notice that you took them away right as I start, started writing them. <laughs> Damn it, he figured us out, Jeremy. We got to get out of here. Run everybody, run. Everybody run. run. I did enjoy getting those little fill-in snippets in between episodes that just kind of gave, especially because you were the one who did them, we heard nothing about them ahead of time. Right. So it was even a little bit of a surprise for us to kind of see, you know, kind of some of the ramifications of things that we were doing outside of, you know, the investigation. But on the other hand, being able to go straight through the whole story, start to finish and not having to be like, okay, what was this? And where does this happen? And where was I last time? And just being able to, you know, flow right through the story yeah. all of those is really nice. And, and Brittany uh, says on the chat there that, that she really enjoys the interludes or enjoyed the interludes and they helped flesh out the story. Mm-hmm. And then that was the intention uh, just to sort of get, give it a little bit more depth to, to, to let the listener know that there was a lot more going on that the investigators didn't know. To be honest, we did Chapter 7, eliminating the tales as sort of a, uh, an experiment to see how it would yeah. go and, and how people would react. So um, it's good to have this feedback, and I really yeah. appreciate it. All right, we got a lot of questions <laughs> to get to, so let's uh, let's go on here. Uh, while we got Gabe, let's, uh, let's ask him one from uh, one of our listeners. Uh, someone wants to know... What's it like having only played Roy in the main campaign? I hadn't really thought of it like that, just because I have a background, so I feel like I've played Call of Cthulhu as more people, but I suppose in this situation, I feel old, because everyone around me is dying, and I'm just a constant because I'm playing as such a preservationist. And I just want to keep going because I want to... There was a comment on Discord. I want to live through four more incarnations of their <laughs> characters before I die. It, it is weird because, uh, yeah, I, of all the people, of all the all the characters, uh, investigators who have uh, you know, uh, played all through this stuff, you, you've played the most recklessly. <laughs> and, and so at every turn, I expect Roy to die. I play recklessly, but I also understand... I am afraid, my character is afraid of everything, so he's reckless when he feels he has the power, and then when anything goes wrong, he becomes a total self-preservation. <laughs> You've come clo- so close to death so many times, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm shocked and amazed whenever you walk away. <laughs> I've had a lot of luck, despite only having 20 Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, Matt, here's one for you. 
How much backstory do you have for Detox? I had a lot of, I had a good chunk of stuff that was kind of planned to go out over the next few chapters. One of the things that I wanted to do is if I made it through seven at some point, I was going to kind of settle up to, to Jack and actually give him Detox's real first name. But now that now that they're dead, we'll you never, never actually yeah. get to know what what their f- real first name is. Uh, so yeah, I I like where they you know where they grew up. You know, I had family and a, a bunch of stuff that I'd kind of set out ahead of time. But now all of it just kind of goes poof into the ether because no more detox. Just so everybody knows, Matt is very detail oriented, and when he makes mm-hmm. a character, he goes back to almost birth. <laughs> And I'm not even That's, kidding on that. No, he's right. I love the, the detail that he creation. puts into the character. He actually can become the character easier that way, mm-hmm. which is why it's it's so much fun to play with Matt in, in these games because a lot of the times he'll stay in the character the whole time. So when you're playing, even if you're taking a little breather, he's still got the, hello, we're going to have a shrimp on the baby. <laughs> You're like, do I, do I call him Detox or Matt? Or <laughs> It was a little sad for me seeing that, that come to an end because I know how hard you worked on that, mm-hmm. that character. That's like, but, that's like a good chunk of the fun for me, though, is I love when I'm making a character is, is creating that world around them and coming up with the, oh, you know, they like to do this thing or they're this way, but why are they like that? And mm-hmm. how do you, you know, explain and how do you plan out all the little quirks and things that that make them a more human character and and digging in and doing that research and that planning is is probably the most fun part of it for me okay nice thank you uh brian why don't we have one for you no i'm good uh this question is when you ended up playing loveland at short Mm -hmm. notice how hard was it coming up with the character on the fly surprisingly it was uh easier than i thought i had very little time what did we have like maybe a few days. I don't really do voices. When I got to the point and we actually started to play the actual scenario where he was introduced, that's when I picked that voice (laughs) and actually had to realize I had to stick with it through the whole scenario. (laughs) Um, That was a nightmare on my throat. But uh, it, it once I started it, 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 I fell into the character, and it was just so much fun. I wouldn't even mind, honestly, playing a character similar to that again, just being carefree and saying whatever you want and letting it go. That was really cool. That's why when I plan crazy voices for my characters, I practice ahead of time, so I kind of can tell if... If my throat is going to be able to handle, you know, doing that voice contiguously for, you know, an hour and a half, (laughs) two hours, and I try and steer away from things that are, you know, within 10 minutes, I'm like, oh, God, I need to stop. Uh, I've got a question here for me. Uh, Someone submitted. uh, Did you expect the PvP player versus player between Jack Roy and Mutated Detox? And the answer to that is absolutely not. Um, I had no clue as to how this was going to go. I knew that it was going to be extremely dangerous and that there was a high potential for one or all of the investigators to become infected and essentially just die. It is odd that it was Detox who succumbed because they seemed to be a lot more savvy and wary, like very protective, self-protective. But they just got into a really bad situation and, Mm -hmm. and it was kind of heartbreaking, but it was also kind of cool 
when it happened. So even though I didn't expect it, I, I was more or less happy the way that it turned out because it provided some high stakes without damaging too much of the core of what the Lovecraft tapes is. Because if, mm-hmm. if everybody died, then we'd really have to start over. Brand new characters all around oh. and coming in. <laughs> I mean, it's it's bound to happen. This is yeah. Call of Cthulhu. And anytime yeah. you get into a uh, combat situation where you're not uh, running Prepared. full tilt, yeah. then you, you're probably going to die. And I think Roy will thing. survive. Interestingly uh, enough about the PvP, mm-hmm. I had threatened to beat the crap out of Detox in every episode and before <laughs> and after every episode, too. So, All right. Uh, I understand you guys have a few questions, so why don't we go down the yeah. line and just have... Uh, Brian, why don't you start us off with one? All right. I got one for Matt. What would you have done differently in this past scenario if you could uh, go back in time and change? I wouldn't get distracted by the freaking computers. Yeah? Like, honestly, I think if I would have taken a split second to to maybe look a little closer at the room instead of, you know, being detox. Ooh, you know, technology. Yeah. Server room. (laughs) Yeah. That, and if I wouldn't have actually, the thing that probably did it was the fact that both you and Gabe pushed me to spend the luck that got me to open that door in the first place. I was just initially, initially going to let that stand and be like, Oh, I guess I can't get in there, but you had 60 some luck. All right, Gabe, you got a question for somebody, Matt, who do you prefer? And which one was the, fake name based off of julio estrada the composer or julio estrada the wrestler well actually now that you think about it i kind of like the composer better but the name julio estrada came from a random name generator that i pulled up (laughs) while we were playing i literally went on to google typed in random name generator and pulled the first thing that popped up and it just happened to be julio estrada and i was just gonna every single time we went to a new town or city do the exact same thing and change change the change the name every single time oh nice Sounds like some money is going to be sent to these people. <laughs> All right, Matt, you got a question for us? Um, yeah, I have a question for both Gabe and Brian. Uh, after seeing, you know, what happened to Detox and the fact that it's not super difficult for anybody to die around here, if you had no way out and you knew your character was going to die, uh, what would be like the most badass ending for your character? Like in this scenario or just in general? Just in general, at some future point, you're like, oh. oh, I'm trapped. There's no way out of this. What would be the most badass oh. way to bring Jack Whiteside to his ultimate conclusion? I would probably honestly end it myself after everything that he's been through and everything that he's seen. And I'd let my sister know that I'm coming to see her. That's less badass than mine. So don't make this happen because I don't want it to. <laughs> but if I had to die, which I don't realistically ever have to die i'll live forever i want it to be both raymond and dan are in mortal danger and i realize that the only way out is i sacrifice myself so i get up and d'angelo starts playing and then i go to the to save the day and larry bird joins me (laughs) and we both start taking jump shots and we have our last basketball game and then i go in like a mass effect 2 suicide mission to save everybody. Watch out for his face. Spoilers. Mask. Mass Effect 2. Jeez. <laughs> right. uh, there's a question on the chat. Yep, I also. see that. Uh, Brittany asks, Jeremy, does Roy's antics hurt or help your creative process? Hmm. <laughs> Honesty is the best policy. Honesty is the best policy. Okay, so, yeah, um, when we started this podcast, we realized, but we're, we don't really, I don't have a background in the yes and philosophy, right? 
we've really tried to do that. And that's something that I need to work on because when I do embrace it and allow it to fuel the creative process, it works out better. It goes in a direction that I maybe didn't anticipate. The, the beauty of this is I typically write from episode to episode. So even though we have an overall structure for the storyline, whatever the characters do influences how the next episode is going to pan out. So it could change dramatically. I just need to be better at recognizing that opportunity and being less resistant to things that fall outside the plan. Yeah, that's awesome. We do have a question from uh, Chris Parker to Gabe. What D'Angelo song and why is it? How does it feel? All right. I just like to appreciate that you absolutely derailed my thought process when I saw you put that in the chat. So to answer your question, the D'Angelo song that I would pick is Send It On. And why is it? How does it feel? Because Send It On is a crap song. And how does it feel is the best D'Angelo song. And it's such an emotional roller coaster that if you're going to have a suicide mission, it might as well be to that song. Uh, This is for the group. Horror tends to be viewed as a railroad-prone genre in both fiction and tabletop play. Do you think your genre awareness, or rather enjoyment of the tropes and archetypes, generally helps everything move more smoothly in a direction that you as a group find interesting? Or do you sometimes find yourself doing things just because you think that's how it goes? I, I act like I feel the character should act. Like all the background and research that I did for my character, regardless of if it's good for the party, if it's good for the story, if it's good for the the scenario knowing enough of the the things about the tropes of you know horror films you start to see where they can fit in some cases it's kind of fun to lean into them only to purposefully like rug out from underneath people at the last second is like subvert that and sometimes it's really fun just to go with it all the way through because it, it can end up making things a little more interesting than you like initially had imagined things in your head i definitely just try and keep true to what the character is however i do recognize that the only way to truly grow a character is to show changes so i as you've seen in times of crisis i try and break up the uh slapstick starlings of royal royal and bring in more serious attitudes every once in a while because it's it's my way of saying hey look this is a real person he's not one-dimensional of all these folks, I'm probably the most aware of the horror genres and uh, archetypes. Um, I swim and breathe and live in horror. I understand completely what you're talking about. So when you, especially when you talk about role-playing games, horror does tend to be very railroad-prone because the central storyline needs to be adhered to in order to get the full emotional effect. In horror, you really don't have a whole lot of side quests. You have clues that pertain to the main quest but you you seldom have something that's going to you know divert you too much away you can't stray away from the main storyline and that uh as a result becomes very railroad prone and i guess what i like to do is is, like matt said to his point is lean in to those um genre stereotypes if only to elevate the horror for the, the the players and tap into that because i know that they know this particular movie or this particular you know book or trope, then I can leverage that. I can uh, uh, get inside their brain and, and sort of you know uh, make them think that something's going on when it's something completely different simply by tapping into those uh, those archetypes. Dude, this is for Matt and Gabe and Brian. Is it noticeable when you're playing a pre-written scenario versus one written by Jeremy? 
Uh, no, because I haven't read a lot of scenarios, and Jeremy's great, so he changes enough to make it his own. I don't know. I've known my brother a long time, and he's always told me stories. He's always written stories. I, I honestly couldn't tell you the difference while playing if he had written it or if somebody else had written it. I could probably find a little spot here and there just because he knows me so well where he might have put <laughs> something in that he knew I would react to. Anybody here could have reacted to it. No, I honestly, the difference... It, wouldn't have been obvious to me. The only reason I knew we were playing a scenario that you had written is because we talked about it ahead of time. You're right. like, yeah, I'm writing this one for you guys as a as a you know a first time ever custom just for the podcast scenario. I think Indeed. if you wouldn't have told us that ahead of time, I wouldn't have been able to to tell the difference. Mm-hmm. That and uh, Gabe was right. You do you know just how to, to tweak it enough to kind of bring it off just being a you know straight. A to B kind of thing to where it it feels like it's maybe a little more custom to us versus just, you know, here's the general audience. Go go at it kind of thing. Brittany asks after Hubert's close encounter. I've been wondering, did you have an audience in mind? Example, PG-13. Over the course of time, we've become more sensitive, trying not to cross certain lines. I will say that as, as close as we've gotten to any particular line that I felt like, ooh, maybe I overstepped this a bit. Yeah, and um, we talked about that. Yeah, we did. And, and we even thought about you know going back and trying to retcon mm. some stuff or... Or, I thought or, it, I thought it was done well, and I said we should keep it because it was a natural reaction. There were nudes, but they were tasteful nudes. Tasteful <laughs> nudes. Well, you know, it was weird because I, I sort of ended that particular episode when the close encounter occurs in a very gratuitous fashion. It was done in a gratuitous manner for the cliffhanger effect. It was a right. cheap shot in a, in a lot of ways. But then, you know, having talked with Brian and and thinking about how we should proceed with this particular crux i came up with this idea that the creatures were doing this not as a rape it was because these creatures were actually using this to heal the cultists and and so while it was initially horrific to uh hubert he came to realize what was going on so Mm -hmm. it was kind of us retconning it and digging ourselves out of that trench so we are an explicit podcast on the other hand, I want everybody to be able to enjoy it w- without too much discomfort. Right. Uh, they should still be horrified. Gabe, yeah. seeing all the character death around you, do you have any ideas for the next character you might have to play? I have a backup character. I actually have two. Some backstory <laughs> on my first one. We did a demo tape when I was first joining, and me and Matt have bothered Jeremy to try and complete that scenario for about a year and a half, and it's just never going to happen. It'll happen. Because he played Jesse McCree, and I played Flex Rumble Crunch. And I feel like you should all ask him to see it. Yes. Because he doesn't listen to us. But uh, without giving up too much away, my other backup is... Boy a boyo. <laughs> he's, he's an Italian chef who sells candy. He's an he's an Italian CIA agent. No, he's a very different person than Roy Royo is. Uh, Robert Pattison in chat uh, asks. What made you choose to start with Yig as an old one, direct appearance in the story? I think that was primarily because we had already done a couple episodes, or maybe even scenarios, where there was some snake imagery. So it just sort of made sense to carry that through to its uh, logical conclusion. And uh, I did some research, and I was like, okay, well, cults, you know, blah, blah, blah. And basically, every all my research 
pointed me towards Yig. And that just seemed like a really cool hook to get these guys involved. Uh, with Hubert being a, a snake expert, <laughs> that just sort of solidified things. So, and, and I just sort of like the idea of Yig as vaguely human critter trying to press in through the other side. And uh, it just gave me the idea of the portals and everything. And, and also uh, the fact that uh, Yig is the uh, serpent father and all that. A very sly creature who is who is manipulating behind the scenes. I, I sort of really like that. So, And we'll jump into one for Matt. If they had lived long enough to decide, what would have been Detox's death row meal? I'd probably say that it'd be grilled cheese. As as weird as that sounds, there is a reason for it. But again, nobody's ever going to see that reason because they're dead. Just eat motherboards. Motherboard sandwiches. Delicious. Uh, This is for me. Uh, It says, what are the chances of a Lovecraft Tales from Dan's point of view? It'd even be cool to intersperse that narration as the investigators begin to piece it together from journal's notes, like how the bits of radio chatter were recorded and dropped in the mix after the raw play. So that's a... (laughs) <laughs> that, that's an interesting prospect. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked a little bit about something similar to that. To give everybody here a little bit of inside information, the Dan storyline, Dan's missing, we got we to gotta find Dan, essentially is going to hopefully run us another five chapters. Whether or not it's actually Jack and Roy still on the case, we don't know. But we've built in the mechanic where that's going to happen so that I can plan ahead. That allows for potential for Dan to do a lot more POV interjections whether that's tales or potentially uh epilogue prologue stuff i'm always open to, to doing some more stuff with dan uh, brian <laughs> how horribly scarred is jack's face post shotgun blast very pocked i would think i'd like to say it adds character pretty beaten up we did get to the doctor to the hospital quickly but not quick enough to to prevent full scarring so it's not just on the face goes up into the hairline and down into the neck i think we need some fan art on that i think that would be phenomenal if anybody can give my pocked face a a treatment just to say battlestar galactica maybe jeremy this one's for you has there ever been a moment either in this chapter or chapters past where we are just so far off the trail that you want to like face palm through your webcam and go, oh my God, how are you guys not following these clues? What's wrong with you? Because I know like we tend to get off track a lot and we go off side paths that don't lead anywhere. Please see the elevator incident from way back. But has there ever been a moment where you're like, oh my God, how do they not understand what's going on here? No, that was absolutely it. It was chapter three. But I completely jot it down to my adherence to the published scenario and you trust the scenario that it's going to lead you to those clues in a natural way right but uh you guys were just sort of running around and, and to a certain extent my life was the same thing like i could tell brian was getting uh, a little frustrated for clem <laughs> about you know basically having to go okay now we go back to this place now okay? right it's a little easier when when i have created the episode because or the, mm-hmm. the scenario because i i kind of know where all the clues are and i can gently steer them or I or overdo it and uh, basically have someone slip on a uh, thing and fall into a boat. I would say chapter three was like the first time I was like, why aren't these guys, what the fuck is going on here? I had to just come up with shit on the fly just to steer you in the right direction. When you're investigators like us, <laughs> we, need we, all can't find, we can't find our face in a dark room. And to answer your question too, like you, you're, your investigators, I will say traditionally haven't been overly concerned about checking everything (laughs) and sometimes sometimes that's great because it 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 makes for good comedy later yeah and other times i'm like 
Brian, just say you searched the backpack. Just say you opened the water bottle. Just say it. Just fucking say it. <laughs> and see, that's ironic because everything I've ever played in my life, whether it's Dungeons and Dragons or video games or whatever that may be, I cover every inch. I'm very, very thorough. Oh, yeah. I co-op games with him all the time. and I feel like I'm in a story and like I just, this is how my character would do it. Open the door. Nothing there. Close the door. That's a door that's bolted to three locks. Nah, we're yeah, good. That's right. that's right. that's <laughs> we're good. all right. Uh, Gabe, you got a question for us? For Brian, as Jack is coming up close on tying Dan for longest to deal with Roy, what are some <laughs> tips and tricks for how you get through it? Um, I think I have developed a deep admiration for Roy. I see where he he's coming from. I see where he's been. And I honestly I honestly think that, in, especially in this last one, we became a little bit closer than we thought we would. Just not having Dan there as the buffer, the friend and the, the colleague. I'm kind of feeling like, like Jack is almost considering him an acquaintance. If you survive this scenario, you'll tie Dan for the all-time record. Yep, and then we'll have to be friends. I mean, I think that's part of the rules. <laughs> Yeah, and then I'll give up on looking for Dan. <laughs> and then you'll just walk to the nearest cliff and go, Woo. Hey, Brian, you got a question for us? I do. Uh, I actually have one for you, Jeremy. Mm. Um, when running a scenario, what is your favorite thing that the players do? When there is a perfect triangular diagram of someone who is trying to go off the rails, mm -hmm. another one who is not quite certain, maybe too preoccupied with their own thing and then someone who steps up and says hey guys get your shit together let's go the worst thing in the world first and foremost we're playing a game but we're also doing a show <laughs> and it has to be interesting and we've had some things where we're we're all just sort of sitting here going uh what are you gonna do please see the contented uh, cow for reference material so i i think i've gotten better at filling in those gaps but when that happens that's the worst thing but the best thing is when you guys are all preoccupied with some aspect and maybe they're slightly divergent we do have a question from robert pattison jeremy have you ever considered purposely giving someone a red herring to see how far it goes i know that sounds pretty blasphemous for a keeper and i will say uh no <laughs> <laughs> i believe i have done it early in early episodes and it's a dead mistake not only because in the Call of Cthulhu, you're sending them down a side quest that will inevitably end nowhere. But it also, for the show's sake, we need to keep on a timeline. So we have a very finite window where we play. We usually record about an hour and a half to ours tops. And that whittles down to about an hour episode uh, that I can edit realistically uh, within a certain time frame. And beyond that, the, no one wants to listen to us drag on for 30 episodes. Yeah. You know, so we, I, I, right now I'm committed to like basically 10 episode arcs that seems to work perfectly. And why would giving a fish to a player matter? We do have another one here from Brittany. Jeremy, what was in the basement? So yes, there, there was another level, uh, sub-level in the basement. Uh, this is a published scenario, so if you have any intention yeah. of playing this scenario, you may want to tune out at this point. So beneath is a whole other level that is basically radioactive. Ooh. Yeah. So there there was also a radiation thing that was uh, a potential horror. 
and wow. danger to the to the players, as well as more of the the black ooze, if you want to call it that. Um, really, the only living dangers um, were that guy whose name I can't mm-hmm. remember for whatever reason, and the rat. Scott something, I think. Scott. Scott. Yeah, it wasn't Scott Dorward. Scott uh, Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim no. versus <laughs> the world. No. Uh, and, and the rat. Those were the two sort of things that yeah. were. And if you listen to the epilogue, you know what became of them. I got one here for Matt. When developing your next character, how much do you base the character on what is missing from the team, e.g. computer use, combat skills, versus what you want to play? Usually when it comes to me setting up one of my other characters, I like to start by focusing a central skill on something that we're missing. For So for Detox, it was that, that computer use seeing as how terrible we all were with, you know, looking things up. And I kind of go, okay, what can I do with, uh, what can I do to make computer use interesting? And then I kind of try and, I kind of try and build and spiral out from there and say, okay, so if this person is a hacker, what other kind of skills would they have? Would they, you know, have maybe some lock picking skills because they do some more shady stuff? Would they like to have, you know, maybe some, in some, you know, stealth, this is what we need, or this is what would work really well in the group. And then I kind of spiral out from there to fill the character in. Uh, this is for the group. Have you or any of the others done any writing outside of running the games? I have not. Yeah. I have, but <laughs> like small scale one shots mostly just for me and my friends and nothing that I would ever feel confident <laughs> enough to air. A Patreon perk. Yeah, um, we've talked about I would be willing to write some stuff, but I would definitely need a lot of time to do it. I do enjoy the writing. It's the running it that I'm kind of bad at. Uh, Matt, have you uh, written anything? Uh, I wrote a lot of papers when I was in college. Uh, That'd be a no. A while. That'd be a no. For Matt, Brian, and Gabe as players, what's been the most exciting moment for you as players? When you look back, how much of that excitement tension do you attribute to the nerves leading up to the dice result versus the narrative? And how much does that affect you? I'm never good at dice rolls. Uh, there's only been a very few times that that it's actually affected me as a player where the dice roll has been crap and it's like shut my mood down or got me mad or a couple times, but very few. Well, I guess I can't drive. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's one of them. <laughs> it's a car. I've done it my whole life, yet I can't drive. <laughs> That that's one of the few where the dice have, but the narrative really drives me as a player to want to keep moving forward and keep going. And what was the most exciting moment for you as a player? Playing Sam in the fifties, driving down from St. James to get help. I don't remember what I was doing and, and having the creature and get hitting the creature and having that confidence as a character to actually push forward and take control of everything and make the story mine. I think that was the first time I really wasn't just going with the story and the scenario, but actually realized that I can have control as well. I think that was the part where it got me excited to stay with this and play scenario after scenario. I'm very in tune with the narrative because I like storytelling quite a bit. I like creative writing, all that stuff. Disregard what I said a couple minutes ago. Yeah, if you all bug me enough, I will write a scenario. I don't care. I'll put that out there for all of all the fans. As a character who's so reckless... There's a lot of moments that have had me worried. The one moment really where I didn't even really exactly feel in danger, but I was I felt the most worried was that whole sacrifice where I lost Bugsy and all uh. the everyone I gave a crap about. That was the moment that it was like, okay, if I die, I'll die. But I cared more about them 
as a character. So that was really the the turning point. If I had to pick, I'd probably be a tie between the only two times I've ever pushed a role, considering the fact that both times have been successes and I I don't take pushing things lightly so every single time i do it it's always a it's always a do or die moment and it's like a well i don't have much of a choice whether that was you know especially at the end of chapter six with missing that shot trying to to stop tommy ray from finishing his ceremony it was like i was sitting there you know sitting there thinking you know either he puts that box in there and everything ends and i die or you know something else is going to happen and i'm gonna die so i might as well just go for it but even though i had made up that mindset that it's always super nervous wracking and super amazing to to see that result at the end of that push knowing that i had you know doubled down on everything and it was this or i'm leaving the table kind of thing i have a question for gabe what is your theory gabe or roy on the elixir of life i kind of think that it's bullcrap just looking for something to uh take his mind off of everything and he's decided to put all of his energy into that and kind of gone crazy cool detox oh never mind <laughs> All right. I hate you. I'll uh, I'll answer one for me here that someone submitted. How far out do you usually plan ahead, and how much have you had to set aside in favor of the guys going in a different direction? Basically, I, I do plan ahead within the scenario. I do plan ahead quite easily because again it's that the horror genre tends to like a very narrow straight because you got to get at the the solution to the problem so I, I do usually plan ahead but if these guys diverge within reason then it's perfectly fine they, they might be able to get at a certain clue or unearth a certain piece of information that i did not plan on and i'll just adapted on the fly or we'll do things like the whole peter lorry uh, screen door in situation mm-hmm. you know basically that was gabe just saying we're gonna hit the screen door in in this little town and of course i didn't have a screen door in plan so i just did it everything on the fly so hopefully <laughs> that answers your question i do plan ahead but i i need to leave room to allow some happy accidents to happen here's one for the group how old were you when you read your first lovecraft story Ooh. 11 well here's the thing i'm sure most of you know jeremy's my brother but he's my older brother by what seven years he read it to me when i think when i was seven i first got the taste of that and then i think followed by the books of blood was shortly after so i've been exposed my entire life so that's my earliest memory of of hearing lovecraft if my memory serves me i believe the first time i found lovecraft was in an ap english class when i was back in high school basically we had an assignment from our teacher where he gave us a list of of authors and you had he said basically pick it someone you've never heard of that you know nothing about and go and study them. And Lovecraft just happened to be on that list. And it just, you know, for whatever reason happened to be who I landed on. And I ended up, you know, really loving the material and kind of sticking with it for longer than I thought I would. And and for my part, I I think I actually came to it a little bit older. I actually read a lot of Lovecraft comic stuff and didn't realize it was based on Lovecraft. I grew up Gosh, when I was 11, 12, 13, we lived in Florida and one of our downstairs neighbors had a, this chest and you'd open up the chest and inside were Vampirella, Creepy, Eerie, all the old mm. Warren magazines. The Creepy and Eerie stuff always had a Lovecraft adaptation in it. So that that was my first exposure to anything Lovecraftian, but I didn't realize it was Lovecraft until much, much later, probably when I was 14 or 15, and I started reading Stephen King pretty heavily. And Stephen King, of course, references many Lovecraft stuff and, mm-hmm. and, and even calls out Lovecraft as an influence in a lot of his books. And uh, that's how I ran across it. 
Uh, so I, I, I was probably in the neighborhood of 10 or 11 when I first encountered one of his stories in comic form. And then much later, probably 14 or 15, when I introduced it to Brian much later down the pike. Here's another one for the group. Is it difficult to come up with recommendos for each episode? No. No. We we do a lot of stuff outside of this. <laughs> I literally have a Google Keep note that is a long-running list of games that I have basically played and i'm like yeah i like this this is really cool yeah. and so literally whenever i need a recommendo i just pull up my google keep note and go yep that one i watch a lot of television and movies it's very hard sometimes <laughs> i run out fast and usually when i think of some i'll like think of a bunch at once and write them all down i have one written down right now so i'm gonna <laughs> have to really think for this next coming up scenario okay everyone time for your five recommendos for the end of the q a <laughs> yeah, and for me it's uh, really no problem i consume a lot of media so it's yeah. a lot of movies so it's never a problem i just don't like things as much as you guys do <laughs> Well, and you're good. a little busy too, college right. and work. So. I could recommend a, like 50 different wrestling shows. Uh, it looks like Chris Parker has a question for us in chat. Uh, he asks, "What's everyone's favorite bit of improv they've seen in the campaign?" We make a lot of visits to the Screen Door Inn. Yes, because I'm a big fan <laughs> of Screen Doors. From Jeremy, one of my favorites recently was when I we arrived and I was like a platinum club holder <laughs> and they had my picture on the wall. Yeah. I and felt so powerful. Knows you. You're Roy Arroyo? <laughs> yeah, it's <that> very <laughs> important to Roy that he has, like, a lot of power in these very, like, nonsensical, unimportant <laughs> situations. I'd have to say my favorite was Hell House when we were in the church digging through documents and Dan <laughs> failed his stealth roll on the way out of the pastor's office. And I slammed the door and everyone looks and I'm like, oh, great. Now what do I do? And I just immediately defaulted to the I really have to use the bathroom line. And not only the fact that that, that works, but that the all the crap I made up about eating, you know, too much of my brand prune flakes for breakfast. <laughs> and that I rolled well enough that the sheriff was like, oh, yeah, I get that. Go right ahead. In fact, it was like so incredibly absurd that the guy was just like, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. There you go. It's right over there. You made your yeah, like, teepee oh. under the counter. Yeah. <laughs> all right, uh, Brian, whenever Jeremy yells, chase scene. Do you get PTSD flashbacks? Yes. Oh, driving. Why does it have to be a skill? No, it was it was frustrating. I know that was all part of it. And, you know, like regardless of what you do, you're going to hit something. The frustration was that the preparation going into that scenario yeah. was so extensive. And then I'm out of it. I think that was my favorite because of that, I was able to play that other character right. to get me through that and laugh and have a great time and be completely different than I expected to be. But in the moment. In the moment, I was pissed. <laughs> I was I love furious. The and you could also read it on my face. Also, so within the same it? chapter, I loved the play we had coming off of both me and Herbert rolling poor sanity and ending up with phobias. Especially yeah. the fact that Dan ended up being, you know, afraid of plants in an area that was totally overgrown with plants. And so I ended that episode with him sitting, you know, out front on the lawn, individually cutting each weed out from where he was standing so he would feel safer. <laughs> exactly. Other than my um, first, I think that was my favorite scenario. Gabe. Tell us what's in Roy's last will and testament. It's subject to change because, you know, people 
like my kids could easily come out and suck one day and I could easily <laughs> decide which one gets it all. As of right now, it's a rat race. Raymond gets it all right now. Yeah, I'm going to leave Greta with like a couple grand so that way she doesn't die. Of course, if she doesn't die first, she's under a lot of stress and while Greta. I'm living the high life. But right yeah. now, Raymond gets it all and the rest of them get like a note that explains what they could have done better. God, you're ruining everything. <laughs> Can I have a hug? All right. Uh, so That's Robert funny. Pattison asks in chat, what are everyone's mm-hmm. favorite mythos creatures? Ones you'd want to see show up. Do you guys really want to see any mythos creatures show up? I was going to no. say, there's a very very blatant <laughs> distinction between my favorite mythological creature and something that I would like to see in our game. Far and away, werewolves are my favorite. Yes. Ooh. I think mine would probably be vampires, to be honest with you, the, 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 in the same category, that supernatural, just because of the intelligence factor. Fight me IRL. Bella Lugosi. You know? No, probably not Bella. He, he was on a lot of heroin. <laughs> no Sparatu. <laughs> John Cena is my favorite mythological creature. <laughs> However, I would not want to see him in the game. Oh, God, no. So my favorite are the deep ones because they're like mermaids as they should be mm-hmm. and way creepier. I like the whole idea of like the whole Twilight Zone-esque, oh, they're taking over the town and right under our noses and that kind of thing that I've seen them utilized in in other stories I've read. And they're, uh, they're mixing that they do. Yeah, and I think mine would be Migos. You know, I, I always love this alien technology that could basically extract your brain and then fly it off to some other dimension while your body remained behind. I just, I always loved that concept, and I thought it was as creepy as Lovecraft stuff could get with a lot of the zombification and ghouls and things like that. I was always sort of taken a little bit more with the sci-fi aspect. Uh, Chris Parker asks in chat, uh, if the characters were members of a D&D party instead of investigators Ooh. of the unknown, what would be their races and class? Dan would probably end up just being a human paladin. Jack would probably be probably human, but like a ranger. A power ranger? Yeah. (laughs) The blue one. (laughs) I'm always a paladin, so he has to be a paladin. And I think it fits him because paladins are pretty good when they're chaotic at skewing their ideas to be what they want them to be rather than what they are. And Roy Arroyo's good at that. And then um, he would be a dragonborn because he's slippery like that. And he's good at being undetected if he needs to be. However, when he doesn't need to be, he's one of the loudest people around. Also, Roy Arroyo can breathe underwater yes. forever. So uh, write that because in the notes. The That's officially canon. So he's Argonian. <laughs> because of the giant frogs. I was going to say Argonians then. Well, dragonborns are the Argonians of D&D, basically. Yeah, pretty much. I can see Roy being like an Oathbreaker paladin and be like, no. All right, we got a couple questions here to wrap up. Uh, yep. Brian, are there any new motivations for Jack Whiteside now that the story with his sister has come to a close? Jack has pretty much replaced his sister with Roy uh, Dan trying to to find and rescue him. He always needs somebody to rescue. So moving on for the group. Do you guys have any plans to do side session scenarios run by one of the players like the Christmas special in between chapters? If you want to create a Patreon level that forces me to write something, you can do that. <laughs> oh, God. 
And I assume Brian doesn't have any interest in running a scenario. I don't know if I could, to be completely honest. You certainly could. Matt, you enjoyed your first yeah. run at it. Yeah. Uh, but it was, but it was it was not quite you what you expected. No. Maybe somewhere down the line for another one of our holiday spectaculars, I'll give it another shot. I guess we'll have to, to see what, what comes up in the future. I encourage these guys to if they if they want to do something like that, then awesome. We are also open to one shots kept by someone else um let's see here i got one for me which is easier writing a small detailed contained episode of lovecraft tales or writing the bigger looser overview for a scenario has there ever been much material that's gone unused in a scenario that you've not been able to reintroduce later so it is much easier to do the small detailed contained episode of the lovecraft tales because it's pure fiction and i'm a writer first and foremost so for me that is the most joyful experience i really do love doing the scenarios and sort of plugging in all the clues and things that they're going to have to do but um has there been material that's gone unused not in a scenario i've put some seeds and clues that i could potentially use for future episodes and some of those i may actually still do but there's a lot of stuff that's fallen by the wayside that i can never retrieve that i thought maybe i'd interject it into a tale and then reintroduce it later on in that particular episode but then never got around to it and i have one final question here all right has anyone listened back to previous episodes and wondered why they played the way they did i have not listened back to previous episodes. I, I like to listen to them as they come out. There's a little bit that I miss. So listening back, it actually fills the story in more for me, or I'll pick up on something that I might have missed if I was checking notes or, or, or stuff like that. So I like to listen to them right when they come out. So I'm prepared for the next time we record. I've had a couple of moments, yeah, where I've gone back and listened and I've been like, ah, but so, like a lot of the stuff that I see is like, I go back and I go, I missed a really great opportunity for this really great joke yeah. that I just now came up with. Yeah. And why can't I go back <laughs> and put it in? Cause it's the most amazing joke ever. And now no one's going to hear it. Yeah, it's all um, right. But in terms of going back and going, oh, that was a really stupid gameplay decision. Why didn't I do X instead of Y? Not really. I mean, that's I think that's half the fun of the whole, you know, tabletop role playing thing is is I like to stick by my decisions and be like, okay, Mm -hmm. you know, I I made my bed and I'm going to have to sleep in it. For me, I am like Brian. I don't totally listen back that much, but I have done spot stuff. I generally have a pretty meticulous decision making plan as I'm I know it's bizarre to think when I'm going through the motions. So I make these decisions and I understand where they could go. And I've really, to this point, not been upset with a decision I've really made other than, you know, things that I feel like I physically couldn't have done, like saving Bugsy and things like yeah. that. So it's really just, I wish I could have done that more than, oh, that would have been better. But again, living in the moment, that's the whole fun of it is like you're actually in your character at that time and you're playing them like it's it's real. And in, in, in the decisions you're making, it's it's that snap decision that you have to say, you know what, I just have to try this. And then if it doesn't work, that that's probably what you would have done every time in that situation. You know, you're saying that this is not real life. No, this is real life. Wake or up, just, Gabe. Just fantasy. Roy, wake up. Roy. <sighs> Roy, honey, we're at grandma's house. Put your shoes on. Oh, honey. Come on. Whenever yeah. we find Dan, Roy is going to wake up and realize that it was just a long car ride. Well, guys, that's it. We've come to mm-hmm. the end of this episode of the Lovecraft Tapes. Thank you for listening and watching. Yes. And a very special thank you to all our loyal listeners who contributed questions to this Q&A episode. We will begin Chapter 8, Trist, 
sometime in March. So stay tuned by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Google Music, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere you download your regular podcasts. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review. Meanwhile, you can find us at thelovecrafttapes.com with links to all our recommendals and social media channels, including Facebook, Reddit, YouTube, and our Discord server where you can chat with us in real time. You can find me on Twitter at Lovecraft Tapes. And if anybody wants to take shots in the dark as to who my next character will be that I'm not going to at all answer to, you can find me on Twitter at the Real Weird Kid. And if you want to ask yourself, why does this guy even have a Twitter, you can find me at Lovecraft Gabe. <laughs> and I'll follow up with that as the exact same, at Brian Podcast on Twitter. All right, guys. Well, until next time, roll for sanity. The Lovecraft Tapes Podcast is copyright 2019. For more information and sponsorship opportunities, please send email to podcast at thelovecrafttapes.com. Support the Lovecraft Tapes podcast and get access to exclusive content and rewards at patreon.com slash lovecrafttapes.